Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people, just like you, with real stories, just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Christine Devine from Michael Guerin Hospital. She is a 20-year veteran in the fitness industry and has been at Michael Guerin Hospital for the past 10 years as the wellness specialist. She is a strong advocate for healthy workplaces and psychological health and safety, which is her passion. Christine, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm greatly honored that you're here. Well, I'm honored to be here, so thank you. So how does it feel coming back to work from home, from working at home? (laughs) Actually, I was at the hospital the whole time during COVID, Uh, We were lucky enough to get one or two days a week where we could work from home, Um, but most of the time I was on site, uh, had some great opportunities to deliver meals to the night staff um, when we were delivering uh, meals with donations and had some great opportunities to go into long-term care homes with some of our clinical staff. So it was, it's been... um, a really extraordinary experience I would say that's amazing <laughs> so thank you for thank you for doing that from everybody out there now do people know that you also work at Michael Garrett no that is a secret that I was oh, trying to keep but that's okay now now, now, now the secret is out yes I do work <laughs> at a hospital it is my that is my full-time gig Well, and I did want, the reason I brought that up is because I want to say how amazing you guys and your department have been to all of us in this bizarro world of unprecedented moments, right? So I just wanted to return and reciprocate the gratitude. Well, thank you. I know all the guys in the in the IT department are are uh, are grateful for uh, for all your guys. for all your guys uh, well wishes for us because uh, we've been through a rough year this year for sure you have <laughs> you guys are the walking department of resilience <laughs> you just just keep on going <laughs> well yeah that's what we do uh so what got you into the fitness industry in the fir- in the first place well uh long story short went to university Um, did not like the programming that I was in, went, uh, asked my parents, you know, can I drop out? Can I take a year off and go to work? And then audition for theater schools. And they said, no, you must have a BA that you must fall back on. uh, So you need to finish the job. So I went to university, took a couple years off to work, um, and then did audition for theater school, came to Toronto in 96 and attended a theater school there, did some live theater for a couple years, decided uh, upon meeting really phenomenal artists with extensive resumes who uh, still couldn't pay their rent, that that was not the life I wanted to lead. (laughs) So I took all of the dance experience and the body work and uh, all of the performance skills and went and got my fitness certifications. And it's funny because 
you know, growing up, I would do all kinds of, you know, like Reebok step video and 20 minute workout. My mom would come by from the kitchen and walk through the room as I was working out. She'd go, you know, you should be an aerobics instructor. And I'd go, who wants to be an aerobics instructor, right? Like it was some badge of shame. So <laughs> lesson learned, moms always know, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's been 20 years of amazing moments and lots of lessons, good, uh, bad, and ugly. And uh, it, it's a great industry to be in because we get to, um, I always say, we get to watch people surprise themselves, right? We get these clients that don't think they can do what, what we're, you know, putting in front of them or asking them to do. And through healing and through perseverance, they accomplish it. And it's such an honor to, to watch people surprise themselves, right? Yeah, it actually really is. Uh, so what was the catalyst for you to transfer into the corporate into corporate wellness? Um, I had done a stint at the hospital many years before I actually uh, took on the role of wellness specialist where they were hiring out um, class slots and and they hired me to teach a few classes and I really really enjoyed the culture of the hospital I'd never had a corporate experience before uh, I come from a family my dad was a CEO my mom was a head of HR so I had an idea of what corporate life was like but I didn't have the lived experience and when I came to the hospital it was so different from any conversation I'd heard over the dinner table growing up right and uh, so a few years after that uh, teaching engagement ended, they were looking for somebody to cover mat leave. So I applied and that was it. And I, while I was there, I um, asked the director of HR for an appointment and I laid out a business plan because I had been working in gyms for a while and I thought, mm, we can do a little bit more with this program. And we can we can make it more accessible to people, and we can we can really try and find more opportunities for people to meet across the organization. Because yes, it is tremendously wonderful to have facilities for your people um, to be able to stay healthy and fit. But at the heart of organizational wellness is really and truly opportunity for human connection. So, you know, it didn't matter if people were um, coming to lose weight or coming to get strong or coming to rehab. What mattered was that they were meeting people they wouldn't normally meet. They were talking about their kids and, you know, life outside of the hospital and really starting to create relationships with one another, right? And as we know, in the hospital world, uh, things have been quite tense lately and your relationships are going to be what gets you through it all. So long story short, sorry, I sort of talked around in a really big circle there. Um, I applied, I asked the director of HR for time, I presented my business plan to her and then they offered me a job. So, <laughs> and I said, yes, please, I would like a pension and some benefits. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we're actually going to touch up a lot about what you just said uh, okay, great. a little bit later on so we can get deeper into uh, exactly all those amazing topics. Uh, but before we do, uh, have you ever felt like quitting? 
no, I don't think so. I think it, I love movement. Like, first and foremost, I'm a gym rat. <laughs> I love movement. I love to sweat. Um, I come from a world of dance and in theater school, we moved, you know, six of the eight hours we were there um, in a very uh, intense way. Uh, I really, really enjoy working with people, uh, particularly those who are coming back from, uh, you know, catastrophic injury or illness. Uh, and I really, what I find most fulfilling in my job now, which is part gym rat, part sort of administrative, is the opportunity to advocate for healthcare and healthcare workers. You know, as you know, you know, you're one of us, um, behind the scenes and at the front lines, there are workplace issues and conditions that nobody else has to deal with, right? Unless you're a first responder. There are things that you see that are incredibly disturbing. And so to be able to advocate for people, to find supports that, that are helpful to them and to share their stories with their permission, you know, it, across the country and really try and shape what healthy workplaces look like in the health sector uh, is such a big honor. And it's, it's a purpose that I didn't think I had. I was supposed to, I thought I was supposed to be singing and dancing. Right. But really this has been such a lovely surprise. And I'm so grateful that I've been able, I've been given so many opportunities to discover this. Right. So very grateful. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I've seen some of your workout plans, uh, posted all over the hospital before the COVID stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. So uh, how would you define the foundation of wellness? So I think the foundation is like, how, what's the definition of wellness or what's the foundation? What I is think, the foundation of wellness? I think the foundation is, oh my God, it's so many things. Um, you know, there's rote sort of definitions of it's the psychological, the social, and the emotional well-being of an individual. I think it's, particularly in the workplace, it's feeling a part of a community, feeling that you're, and knowing that the relationships that you make are supportive, are healthy, that you can come forward with difficulties, that you can ask questions, that you can bring forward ideas. And in any of those instances, you are not going to be chastised, criticized, um, made fun of. So I think wellness is, is an, an atmosphere, an environment that cultivates your ability to speak your truth, to live your purpose, to try things out and fail. Um, and to still feel supported and feel like somebody's in your corner. And in this case, it's the organization or a mentor or a colleague or, you know, somebody that you chum along with in the, in the wellness studio. Uh, you actually touched up on the next question and how to apply it, uh, but specifically in a hospital, because it's such a unique work place like you have to deal with patients you have to deal with patients family members and like you said before we have to deal with uh 
you know, very touchy um, situations when it comes to dealing with patients and patient and family members. Uh, where other workplaces, we just you just have to deal with a coworker that's just being a prick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. For so sure. How would you apply it to a co for a, for a hospital worker that uh, has to deal with something like that? With uh, you know, in in your line in in your area, how would you go about like helping a co- uh, a colleague, for example, that's going through a rough patch at, at the hospital? Yeah, and and you know, so part of wellness within the hospital is this organizational approach to making sure that our leaders understand uh, the unique stressors of the workplace, making sure that they know when a staff member or a team member, when their behavior changes, that it's not an opportunity to reprimand somebody. It's an opportunity to go, hey, I know you, right? It's like that Roy Rana from the Sacramento Kings. It's his 30 seconds for every player every day sort of Um, motto where if we create the relationships every day with these little moments and it could be a glance it could be a hey how are you it could be hey how was your kids first day back it could be you know like any little moment that ties us together as humans builds the foundation of trust so that if there's a behavior change if there's an issue if somebody comes forward and says I'm having a really hard time with this patient or I can't get the family to sit down with me for a family meeting, or the patient and the family have different wants, how do I manage this? You set up a foundation where that staff member or team member knows they can come to you. And the corollary of that is the manager knows that staff member well enough to be able to go, hey, something's different. How can I support you? Tell me what's going on. And um, from a wellness perspective, I mean, that goes, uh, you know, it it goes um, into emotional intelligence skills, into having crucial conversations. There's a really great um, conversation framework from an organization called Vital Talks that um, is specifically designed for clinicians to have um conversations with families and patients and it is really about developing skill sets and one of the things that i've i'm really into researching right now is the whole idea of fitness people or wellness people as coaches but not in the way that oh well let me uh, design this seven day menu for you so you can lose your you know how many pounds of weight but coaching from an idea or a viewpoint where we want to develop and grow other people right like you see what they're good at you see what they're struggling with you go okay here is something I think you would be really interested in learning I think it will help you this way this way this way let's implement. So it's it's a little more broad or workplace wellness has become a little more broad than physical wellness in a gym setting. Even though there's now the physical world, you know, uh, is beginning to really acknowledge the connection between mind, body, spirit and understanding empathy 
right? Like you can't coach, you can't lead, you can't support anybody if you don't understand what empathy is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or how to practice it. Yeah, um, I, I I always joke around that the uh, a personal trainer's side job is actually being a psychiatrist. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And I am sure you know you have your lead athletes, you have your weekend warriors, you have your really consistent people, you have your people that are rehabbing and they're totally dedicated, and then you get the odd person who just needs a friend. Like they really just need a friend. They do not want to work out, and you kind of go. Mm how do I deal with this? <laughs> how do I deal with this? How do I do my job as I've been hired to do when this person really just wants a friend, <laughs> right? So it's challenging and every personal trainer I'm sure has been in that position. Yeah, well, too many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned something called vital talks. Do you think that this could be actually beneficial to help somebody who's going through a rough time psychologically? Um, I think the end game is particular to clinicians or people on the front lines. It is to help them build trust and rapport and respect between patients and patient families. So you can have really difficult conversations, right? About, What's prognosis look like? What does the treat? What are the avenues of treatment? What are what's the value system? What's the quality of life or the definition of the quality of life for the patient, right? And and so in that way, I think it alleviates a lot of stress. I think in terms of our own, like any individual, what we could really work on is emotional intelligence. Right. And which is, if you look at coaching paradigms all over the world, it starts with self-awareness. What's going on with me? What am I feeling right now? Why am I triggered? Managing whatever that response is or that sensation is. Connecting with the individual, being able to step back from your own emotional reaction and formulate really good questions so you can understand more about the other person's point of view, right? Or where the other person is coming from. And only then can you really start to guide somebody or understand what they want and give, give them in return what they want. So I would say emotional intelligence takes so much uh, stress off of you when you recognize, when you learn to recognize, and this happens through repetition, doesn't happen overnight, can't read a book, and then all of a sudden be an expert, you actually have to really practice it and go, ooh, I'm really anxious today. Ooh, I just snapped at somebody. What is that? Is it anxiousness? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it um, feeling threatened, betrayed, whatever it is, naming it, sitting with it, and then being able to go, okay, why am I feeling this way? And how can I, what are the questions I need to ask to understand more about the situation? So I'm not, you know, blasting through the hallways, alienating people, <laughs> which many of us do, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know sometimes I've done that. It's just sometimes I need my own me time in yeah, my own you, thoughts. Yeah. And you know what? Like, we always say in emotional intelligence, your amygdala has not changed since caveman times, right? 
a threat is a threat. It's not a saber-toothed tiger anymore, but it's still, we perceive, you know, we perceive things to be threats and our amygdala acts like a hundred billion times faster than our neocortex. So all of the rationalization, we have to train that. We have to, we have to put that back in the driver's seat. And you can only do that by, you know, deep breathing and naming where you're at. And I think a lot of the issues we have today psychologically in the workplace is fear of speaking up, an inability to start conversations, tough conversations, right? And having faith that the other person is going to be respectful in return and go, oh, you know what? I never even thought that that could offend you or that you would be worried about that. Let's talk about it. We don't even broach the subject, right? We go, oh, we can't talk about that. So I, I, I would say emotional intelligence, great, great skill set to learn. Do you think that we're cons do you think that we're more triggered today than we were like caveman days? Oh yeah. Do you yeah, think I that we're always in that fight flights response? <laughs> oh yeah. And it's especially in the hospital, right? Like emergency room workers, they're constantly, constantly in cortisol overload. And so what do you do? And as a trainer, like, what do we do when people come to us? They're middle-aged, they're diabetic, they're not sleeping at night, they're having two glasses of wine every night before they go to bed because they think that they're going to sleep well. They're eating garbage during their shifts. Um, and, you know, they're in total cortisol overload land and they've been there for 18 years. Like, how do you train these people, right? And how do you convince them that something that activates the parasympathetic nervous system like yoga or meditation or walking or hiking, something gentle will actually bring about a better uh, biological response than putting them in the gym and making them box for an hour and a half, right? Like, so <laughs> it's, it's this whole shift that I have tried so hard, particularly to get middle-aged women who all come to me, I can't get rid of this middle. Do you sleep? Do you drink wine? What are you eating? How many people are relying on you? Are you still making the beds of all seven children? Which I've heard from people. I've heard middle-aged women say, I can't work out in the middle of the day. I have to deliver um, lunch to my kids at the, their place of work. And I'm like, well, how old are your kids? Well, one is 30, one's 35, and the other's 40. And I'm like, your kids are not going to starve, mama. Get to, you know, get some time in for yourself. <laughs> Lucky kids. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I wish my mom would cook for me. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, I think we put way too much stress on ourselves. It was great. I was having a conversation uh, the other day at the hospital and, and one of the managers who has worked for years in the ED said to me, she goes, you know what? This COVID has given me such a great opportunity to reflect on so many things and this person is a mom lot you know two or three kids at least young uh you know great busy family life really really uh accomplished manager uh and professional and she said to me the reflection has been boy was i putting so much pressure on myself she goes you know 
somebody said, oh, mom, we need bananas. I want to make banana bread. I would not think twice about leaving work after working 10 hours to go to the grocery store to get bananas and bring them home so somebody could make banana bread. She said, now in COVID, you think I'm waiting for two hours in line at Loblaws so that, you know, I can get bananas? You get bananas on grocery day. <laughs> I said, well, why didn't you get bananas on grocery day before, right? So we do, we pile on all these expectations and all these, you know, goals and everybody's got to be happy and we got to do it for the team. And really, like this has been you know, for us, and we're lucky, I, I, I truly recognize that, um, you know, you may have listeners that have not worked through the pandemic and who have had an incredibly stressful time. But for those of us who, who are lucky enough to uh, have employment and to have some normalcy of going to work, it has provided us the opportunity to go, holy smokes, like I didn't need to do all that. I can be quiet. I can be still. I can eat at home with my family every night and look at the riches that comes from that, right? So, so it's been a, an interesting ride for everybody, I think. Yeah, um, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think this was this this COVID thing was uh, one, like you said, a good wake up call for us, and two. A positive reset for us as well because like you said we have been like going like squirrels for so long yeah look at all the people now that have vegetable gardens like i'm from a wee tiny town in southern ontario everybody predominantly uh european you know little town and everybody had vegetable gardens when i was growing up and now it's like the thing People are in their backyards, they're tilling the soil, they're watching things grow, you know, they're, they're keeping little uh, log books about what was successful, what wasn't successful. It's like little science experiments they're having with their kids. How amazing is that? And yeah. they, wouldn't th they wouldn't have thought of it, you know, if it wasn't for COVID. What a great discovery. Yeah, exactly. So shifting gears a little bit here. Uh, Define the whole greater, the, uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Teams, systems, us as individuals, right? I, I, I think, you know, we have a responsibility as wellness people, as fitness people, to not only guide people towards their physical goals, but to also, with great respect and concern, call people out when we see, and we do see, people who are in the gym using it as a distraction from life. Do you know what I mean? So those people that you see in three or four classes a day, every day, and then they let it slip in a conversation that they also went for a run with a backpack with seven cinder blocks in it, you know, like, <laughs> and then they got on a bike and rode around, you know, the city of Toronto. And so we have a responsibility to point that out to our clients, our colleagues, our friends and say, you know what? 
something's off because you're in here too much. And to me and in my professional experience, that means something's off balance. What's bothering you? How can I help guide you through this? Because in the long run, we know that much gym time is going to tear that person down further, right? So encouraging people to look at the whole of life. You don't lose your 10 pounds this week. Oh, well, did you have really good uh, time with your parent, quality time with your parents or your best friend? Did you read a great book? Did you experience something you've never experienced before? Did you help somebody else out? right? Like all of those parts of life are so much more important. Yep. So that's what I mean by the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Cool. How does that apply to the workplace? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's about respect. It's about trust. It's about building relationships. It's about if you're in a position of leadership, whether it be official and organizational or whether it be personal, where you can give people the opportunity to grow and develop, where you can share ideas freely, where you can provide people the opportunity to act with autonomy, to develop the way they want to work, to provide feedback or integrate their discoveries, their expertise. It's, it's, um, it's quite expansive that idea in the workplace um and no man is an island right like we need it all the time frontline staff they need the, the the environmental services people right like never ever are they they're unsung heroes they never get mentioned right who do we need more than anybody right now in COVID 19 the people who are cleaning stuff up <laughs> Yeah. So it, it's, it's really about cultivating an appreciation and respect for everybody's role. Cool. Um, now, I haven't personally seen this at the hospital, and I've been at the hospital just over four and a half years, well, close to four and a half years now. But let's say somebody is being bullied at work. How would you go about helping the person being bullied and does this greater, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts fit in with this? Yeah, so workplace bullying is tricky. So I can put my HR hat on and say, you know, there's a really, um, there is a really strong in investigation uh, procedure that we go through. Uh, we know in healthcare there's horizontal violence, there's vertical violence in terms of the organizational structures and the interprofessional structures, particularly uh, between clinicians and, and other uh, physicians and other clinicians that may fall below them in the hierarchy. Um, and so what I would say if I was a peer is I would ask them, you know, when did this happen? Who was there? Give me the context around the situation. Has this happened more than once? Um, was anybody there to witness it that we could speak with? And do you feel safe enough to go to your manager? And if you don't wanna go along, uh, alone, I will go along with you. 
if you if that would make you feel comfortable. There are um, in many workplaces, including ours, there's a series of um, sort of questionnaires and uh, sort of a, like a, a guide to help you understand whether or not it is bullying. Because many, many times people will think they're being bullied, but it's a manager that doesn't have the skill set to say, oh my gosh, there's a behavior change. Here's a great employee who's now coming in late every once in a while, or who is behaving in an inappropriate way. We've never seen this behavior before. And I don't have the skill set to go up to them and say, oh my gosh, this is a sign that something's really wrong. And I should be asking if you need help. Right. So here we come back to the leadership and, and making sure that everybody has the skill sets and the awareness and the opportunity to check in with people every single day so that we know what the norm is. Right. But if you if you think you have a buddy that is being uh, bullied, go to HR or go to the manager, tell your friend you'll go with them if they don't want to go alone. And they're usually are very uh, I don't want to say rigid. What I want to say is um, well-constructed systems to help you maneuver through this. Could be mediation. It could be investigation. It could be, you know, it could be that that person's just a donkey and needs needs some guidance about how to be a human being, right? They they might not even understand the impact that they're having on the person who thinks they're being bullied so you know there there are a lot of different outcomes but most organizations are on it if you come forward and say mm, i got an issue so schoolyard tactics and schoolyard <laughs> rules don't apply <laughs> they don't apply don't do that you'll get sued and you'll have to pay money <laughs> okay there you go people if you're being bullied at work don't punch the bully in the face. No, no, don't do that. Don't let air out of their tires. <laughs> uh, how would you define flow? Oh, you know, it's those magic moments. You felt it, right? Like on a run or when you're in the gym or you're working on a great program on the computer or you're listening to music or it can happen at any single time doing anything but you you're it when you're in it time just disappears right you're just going and going and going there's this amazing sense of calm um and almost like wonder right like oh this is so cool you're completely entranced ensconced in whatever you're doing that's um there is a a, a positive psychologist named martin seligman from the University of Pennsylvania, and I, I uh, steal a lot of his stuff, and I say steal because I do, um, for our wellness strategies. And he talks a lot about purpose, uh, being tied to purpose, how relationships help cultivate and strengthen your sense of purpose, how flow develops from that, how we... Um, how we can improve our, our um, ability to be happy. So that just like emotional intelligence, our ability to be happy is a learned skill. So, you know, 
it's a really um, tangible thing, even though we talk about it in these mystical terms, right? Like these esoteric sort of terms, but flow is really tangible. You just gotta be connected and you gotta recognize when you're there. And generally we have all had that experience one time or not. Yeah, I think everybody's felt that. What about flexibility? What's your definition of flexibility? Because this is something that really interests me. Yeah, so I don't know if you I don't know if you've heard me go on my rants at the hospital about this word resilience. Everybody wants to build resilience in their teams. I'm like, why don't we just, you know, cultivate flexibility in people? We know stuff's going to go wrong. The last year, 2020 is a great example of how best made plans, baby, right? Destroyed. <laughs> And so flexibility is giving people the opportunity to fail when it's safe so that when things don't work out, right, and we have no sort of advanced warning, they're, they're going to be able to roll with the punches and they're going to be able to say, okay, well, we've kind of been in this situation before and what worked was yada, yada, yada. Or what didn't work was yada, 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 let's try this. But at least they have, you know, a, a skill set where they can come up with a new idea, where they're courageous enough to put it into action or to at least verbalize it and get some feedback or some, uh, some sort of representat representation at a table where decisions can be made. Um, and really understanding that if you come to the table with the best of intentions, people will see that and they will support you. And we will get through it with that level of trust, right? But flexibility is, I think a little bit different from resilience in that you don't always bounce back, I guess, is like the, is the definition of resilience. You don't bounce back. You come from a different place. Does that make sense? Like you, you come from a different place with a different perspective and you're able to shift that perspective as you gather knowledge and move through the situation. Um, you know, it's like the whole COVID thing. We thought it was high contact surfaces at first. As we learn more, we pivot, we become more flexible in that we take the information we have, we distribute and communicate in different ways so that people have the most up-to-date information. If you're not going to be flexible, you're still going to be Lysoling your counter. You're not going to have a mask on, right? <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I mean by flexibility. Is that your definition of flexibility? I, well, I was thinking more on the, uh, you know, the physical aspect of physical uh, flexibility, but I do understand where you're coming from, because from that definition, I've, you know, looking back in my life, uh, almost committed suicide twice, uh, uh, been almost bankrupt twice in my life, and every time I would like quote unquote bounce back, it would always been stronger and more further than I've ever been before. So it's 
more like the more knocks that I took, the better off I was off in at the end of it, because I learned so many valuable lessons that I knew that when, you know, when I lost my business the first time, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see like signs of depression come back into me. Okay. What did I do last time? So this is what I did. This is how I fixed it. And this is, and it just catapulted me to the next level. That's amazing, John. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's like, that's courageous to come out and, and with such honesty, say, this is my story. So thank you. You're welcome. I mean, this is the whole reason for this show. It's to uh, reach out to other people out there that are going through rough times and for them to understand that, you know, they're not alone. They're, you know, there's people out there that have been through it. So. Yeah. And you know what, from a workplace wellness standpoint, the majority of the work that we need to do as fitness people is to let people know that the prevalence of mental health conditions or mental health, uh, I want to, no, I want to say mental health conditions because mental illness has such a negative permanence to it. And mental health conditions, we will all experience. I think the new numbers are by the time a person, uh, by, by 2021, 50% of everybody who is at the age of 40 will have experienced a mental health condition. One in two people, your best friend or you, my best friend or me, my husband or I, my mother or my father. Do you know what I mean? So our job as fitness professionals is to know the signs and symptoms, is to act in a role of advocacy to protect people and who they are inside, not just, you know, the outer shell. Uh, although we do recognize how much of a benefit psychologically there is to being in the gym, to being in a fitness class, to being in a community and being active. It's our job as professionals to let people know that they can come to us. And that doesn't mean we have to solve the issue. That means that in our back pocket, along with our chiropractors and our massage therapists and our physiotherapists and our osteopaths, we have psychotherapists, psychologists, family counselors, a, a drug addiction specialist. So when we, ha- we recommend our team of helpers, uh, when we don't have the professional skill set, right? We, we have to be equipped with those names and numbers and say, you know what? I would really recommend you go speak to this person. It sounds like you're experiencing this. Um, This person is really highly recommended. You can disclose whether or not you've used them or sent other people uh, without names, names of course. Um, And really, really protect people's emotional well-being as well as their bodies. We're the culture shifters, right? We got everybody in spandex we can get them to a psychologist. <laughs> we can do this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and like you said, like there's only so much a personal trainer can actually do for a person. Like uh, there's like, I know from my story what worked for me, but that's unique to me. It's not, yeah. might not be unique to, it might not help somebody else, but it might help somebody else. So I could share with them what I did to help to get out of it. Yeah, everybody will have their own recipe, right? And it's, 
part of the healing is designing that yourself, right? Is experiencing, ooh, this doesn't feel good. I'm gonna try this. Okay, that works. That's that's what builds you back up, right? And knowing, having those experiences of yes, this works, no, this doesn't, practicing self-awareness. So you know, I, I just think it's 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 an amazing journey that you've been on and a great platform that you have created for people and a safe space. And you should be really proud of that. Thank you. I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so staying in tune with the entire uh, community thing. So when it comes to creating a community, how would you go about doing something like that? Oh gosh, you know, I think so much of fitness, and I think that's why I went corporate instead of working in a, in gyms, because so much of fitness now has become about sales and sort of pyramid marketing. And, and I found that what I enjoyed most about teaching or training was connecting with people and when i didn't have to look after all the marketing and all that stuff because i was working in a hospital and really you know it was a couple of posters and a couple of emails as opposed to websites and podcasts and this and that and the other thing right like all of these amazing things but they take up a heck of a lot of time and investment right what I could focus on was just getting to know people. So I'd wander around, you know, I'd teach a class and then I'd go wander around, talk to some units, talk to some people and find out whose people, who, you know, who they were, what their names were. You would be amazed at how many connections within, you know, an organizational structure you can make just by using somebody's name, remembering it. And next time you see them in the hallway, go, Hey, how are you? you know, so-and-so and use their name, they will be in your class. They will be in your gym like faster than you can say lickety split because they think you care when you use that. When you remember who they are, you're telling them that you care, that they matter. And they're like, Ooh, I want to spend time with this person that makes me feel like I matter. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally agree with that. I don't have that luxury me it's just running around i yeah, need this then so it's run <laughs> yeah and it's really difficult and and you know like uh, so i guess i would turn the table and ask you and say how do you manage all of the sales and and marketing aspect and still find time to connect with people one-on-one -on -one, uh understanding that that relationship was what keeps them coming back to your business how, what's your focus there? For me, the marketing is uh, trying to help somebody change their belief system. To me, that is what marketing is. How can I change your belief system into what my product can actually help you and add value to your life? So when I, when I, when I release my next product, which is the weight loss product for men, um, these are the tools, these are the tips and tricks that helped me get out of my bad space. And every time I fall into a bad space, these are the tools that I always fall back on. So for me, it's like 
when, when I see somebody like buy my product, I'm like, Oh my God, I got another person on my journey. This feels so amazing. And they voted with the best thing that they could vote with, with, which is their credit card. So now they're held accountable to finish because every time I've given something for free, nobody finishes it. So it's like, when you pay, you finish it. Right. So that's why the, that's why it's the call. It's the call price to action. That, you know what? So many times, so many times trainers will be approached. Well, why don't you have a prorated scale for people who can't afford such and such? Okay. And so we're in healthcare. So we know what the social determinants of health are. And we know that there are great disparities in accessibility, but time and time again, research after research study shows if you undervalue monetarily your services, people will not come. I used to have my favorite client in the world was this woman who would paid top dollar for me to train her by the hour and back in the day. So that would have been like 15 years ago. It was 65 bucks an hour. That woman would, she worked, uh, like two storefronts down from the gym I was at, she would five minutes before our training session, she would call and go, I'm sorry, I can't come. I'm, I'm with a client, but she knew I had a 24 hour cancellation policy. So I would like sit there and make 65 bucks for going to the gym, setting up a workout and then not executing. Was it fulfilling for me in any way, shape or form? Absolutely not. So what I started to do was bump my prices up so that I was pricing those people out of the market, right? The people that weren't really serious. So I think you're very smart to hold people accountable by making them pay. My other question would be, how do you connect with them through the process? So obviously it's like you say they have to finish something. So they're with you for a while. So how do you connect with them during that journey? Well, I used to run myself ragged when it came, when it came to that. So I would meet up with them and do that. But I I figured, you know what, this is this is draining on me. So this whole program that I devised was is basically I'm trying to create a community of men to help each other keep themselves accountable. So when one guy falls slow or falls starting to fall off the beaten track, you have a whole group of guys saying, Hey, yo, Jimmy, let's go. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep this up. Cause there's a little bit of a prize at the end of it, which I'm not going to go into right now. <laughs> okay. There's a little bit of a prize after the 21 day challenge. There's a, there's a prize for the winners, the top three guys, there's a prize for them. And oh. um, it's a surprise, but Anyways, uh, so yeah, it's like I have uh, a Discord. I have a Discord channel which they can go and they talk and you know keep it, keep each other accountable. I get on a I get on a call with them once a week, and uh, and uh, we just work through whatever problems that they're going through, whether it be uh, they missed a workout. Okay, why'd you miss a workout? Whether it be uh, oh, I don't feel too good. Okay, why don't you feel too good? And you have a whole group of guys saying, you know what? we're all brothers here. We're all here to help each other. So that's cool. That's how I'm keeping everybody accountable is by making everybody else keeping them accountable, themselves accountable. 
That's very cool. So uh, along those lines, when COVID happened and, and the uh, province released their guidelines for care, should we reach a certain threshold in, in the industry? Uh, there were certain decisions that would be made about who gets a ventilator, who doesn't, right? It could be based on age, predis predisposition to other disorders, this, that, and the other thing. And there was great concern for the emotional and psychological well-being of the people who were going to have to make those decisions. And so one of the things that we did in the hospital was we surveyed all of the physicians and said, would you like a buddy? And all you have to do is connect with this, exchange phone numbers and connect with this buddy every morning and ask the question, do you need anything from me today? And it could be anything, you know, how you doing? What do you need from me today? And it could be, nope, but thanks for sending me a text. I'll connect with you tomorrow. But that was what it was, right? Just that little um, act of committing to connecting with somebody once a day took 30 seconds, right? Uh, and the amount of um, calm, I think it brought people and the uh, sense of not being alone going through what we thought we were going to have to go through, which we might have to go through in the second wave. I mean, who knows, right? But I, I think this idea you have of having forums for community so that people can get together is probably the most valuable thing you can do for folks. Like I know people from gyms that I taught in 20 years ago, they're still buddies. They still all go to class, right? Like they still go and they go for coffee after and you know, they've seen each other through you know, marriages, divorces, marriages of kids, graduations, grandkids, like it is the, the physical wellness community offers so much more than sets of push-ups, right? Or a diet plan. And I think if we as, as fitness professionals can stay anchored to that, then, then we'll be, we'll be doing society some good. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like you said, like, uh, being a personal trainer is, is it's more than just you're offering more than just a physical a physical change. It becomes a uh, psychological change. It becomes a spiritual change. It becomes so much more. You change as as a being rather than just okay. I'm gonna gain. I'm just gonna gain muscle. Or I'm gonna lose ten pounds of fat. It's so much more than that. Yeah, you know, the, one of my mentors. Um, Dr. Peter Jensen, who is the sports psychologist for the Olympic team. Now his son, Dane, is sort of taking over the reins in terms of his coaching. But he talks about great coaches, which is basically what we are. Great coaches have an intrinsic need to develop others. Like really, really interested in watching people grow and thrive. And so that's, that's the whole like sort of circulate, circulatory system of community, right? It's watching each other grow and thrive and develop and discover new things and being excited for other people. You know, that whole saying about, um, you know, snuffing somebody's candle out isn't going to make your light shine bright, brighter. It's that whole idea of feeding each other. And by nature, you know, 
if you're wandering around jacked and in cortisol land, you see all those people as threats, whether they want to develop you or not, or <laughs> whether they want to come along for the ride or not, you're going to see them as threats because you're in cortisol land. So we need to, we need to really harness that idea of community, of lifting somebody else up. And if you don't know what your purpose is, the best way to find it is to help somebody else, right? Like, and figure out, ooh, what felt good about this experience? Yeah, uh, which you actually touched up on my next question, which is how would you define coaching? <laughs> yeah, I, I truly think it's, it's the desire to see other people grow and change and to let them be surprised and uh, you know it's that idea of we're gonna define where you're at we're gonna define where you want to be and then good coaches we set you up with a challenge where you know you can meet the task but it requires some practice so that you build competence and then we step it up you know, a little bit harder challenge. We give you time to sit with that challenge and master it and build confidence. And then we step it up a little bit. So I think, you know, it's about building people who can deal with instability. So we all, I always use the analogy, you know, we think, oh, when we go to the gym, we want to build a strong athlete. We just pile more weight on them. Or we want to build a stronger individual. We just put more burden on them, ask them to do more. But that's not really what builds strength. What builds strength is instability, right? So you stick with the same 20 pound dumbbells. We put you on a BOSU. We tell you to close your eyes. Now move around. Tell me how that feels, right? You're using everything. All your neurotransmitters are firing away and your feet are feeding back. And you know, you feel like you're on a surfboard in a hurricane with an elephant on your back, but you're doing it. And you didn't have to lift a hundred pound dumbbells in the same, you know, boring bicep curl that we've done since, you know, the dawn of time. And you feel accomplished and you feel like the whole body has integrated into that exercise or goal. So I truly believe that instability and knowing how to create a safe space where people can experience instability is what a good coach will do to help you build strength, whether that be emotional, psychological, physical, um, or mental. But I love doing bicep curls. <laughs> do it on a BOSU with your eyes closed, John. <laughs> uh what about leadership yeah leadership so leadership is really interesting to me because i think you know we work in a place where we're pretty lucky right like there are not many organizations where you could walk down the executive wing and bang on the CEO's door and go, do you have five minutes for me today? Cause something is really bothering me. And we, we work in a place like that. So traditional leadership, I think seems 
uh, inaccessible to people. And so when I think about leadership for us as individuals and as coaches, I often ask myself, is this something that I would, that I would want to execute on somebody else's behalf? Is this a way I would want somebody to treat me? So, so often, right, we go, well, I'm not a traditional leader. I'm not a manager. I'm not a director. I'm not a vice president. I'm not a CEO. That's not my responsibility. But leadership is assuming the responsibility, even if it isn't yours, right? And saying, you know what? This is something that I feel strong about. These are people I care about, or this is an issue I care about. What are possible next steps I could take to get to the table, to represent, to advocate, to support? Um, and, and I think we underestimate our power sometimes and discount ourselves as leaders. Uh, and so I think it's a little bit different from coaching but I would like to see more of a blend within our industry of leading the way, leading by example of taking some more chances to not tell people what to do, but to figure out how we could serve people. So there's this whole, whole concept of, of um, servant leadership where your job is to serve your team. They don't serve you you serve your team. What can I do for you today? How can I make your job easier today? What can I facilitate so that you go home feeling like you have done a good job? What's, what's the pebble in your shoe is what some leaders ask. And so if we can do that for each other uh, as professionals, or we could do that for our clients, think of, think of the trust that you build and the amount of care that they're interpreting those in those questions, right? Like if I came to you every day and said, Johnny, what can I do to make your life better? In fact, my, my dad will get up every morning and he'll turn to my mom and go, Linda, what can I do today to make your life better? And now it's a joke, right? But there is an element of, okay, let's have a family meeting and talk about this because we know that this guy cares about this woman. So if I did that to you and we're just colleagues, John, what can I do to make your life better today? And you know, maybe it's something like, can you go to Tim's? I haven't been able to get away from my table or from my desk. Can you go to Tim's and grab me a coffee? Sure. Right? Like something so simple, but somebody checked in on you. Somebody's doing something for you. How great is that? So Basically, something something along the lines as extreme ownership, like Jocko Wilnick talks about. Tell me about that. I'm not. I'm unfamiliar with that. Jocko Wilnick is uh, ex U.S. Navy SEAL commander, and uh, he talks about <clears throat> everything that happens under you or above you. You have to take ownership on that. Yeah, hundred percent. if it's good, it's it's good. If it's bad, you got to deal with it whatever comes out of it, you got to deal with it. And if I ask somebody to do something and they didn't do it properly, then well, that's my fault because I didn't explain it to them the way I wanted it done. That's such a great example. So, so the other thing, right, in the workplace, 
we go, okay, everybody, we want you to do X. People leave and they execute X, but the result is Y, right? And, and then the manager goes, well, obviously you don't know what you're doing. But did everybody understand what X was? And was there a discussion and a shared vision of what X was? And so I think as leaders, right, personal or professional, as coaches, personal or professional, our job is not to jump right to competence. Our job is to say, ooh, did I give you all the information you needed? Because I know, <laughs> I know what your skill set is and I know you're amazing. And what I asked for is not what I got. So did I actually ask for what I thought I had asked for? So we need to clarify our words, our vision, our instruction, rather than jumping to judgment of the other guy's competence, right? Which it boils down to proper communication. Yeah, 100%. And that takes time, right? And if we're all running around in cortisol land, freaked out, trying to buy bananas every night after a 10-hour shift, we're, we're not going to think that we have the time to nurture and develop and grow and collaborate a vision so that everybody has a shared understanding. So I guess that's like, that's my big message today. We got to find the time. We can't feel rushed. Everything's going to happen as it should anyway. COVID slowed the world down. You got all the time in the world to talk about, you know, what is it we actually want to accomplish here? Yeah. I, uh, that whole lack of communication. I, I remember that story when he was talking about in his book, Extreme Ownership. It was actually a blue on blue. So I don't know if you guys understand what a blue on blue is, but um, Jocko said, okay, we need to secure this building and uh, we need to secure this building to make sure that the insurgents in, in Iraq didn't uh, don't come on to us. So one of his SEAL teams occupied the one building and another SEAL team that was occupied in another building decided to get a better vantage point. So they left without telling anybody and went to the next building right beside them. And they, the, 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 the SEALs in the first building didn't know anything and they saw people rushing into a building. So they just started shooting. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's the whole lack of communication. I mean, we, we're not going to get into that kind of bad stuff at the hospital, but it could have, it could potentially turn like that without lack of communication. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, this happens in, in personal relationships, you know, and, and it boils down to emotional intelligence, that ability to, to not blame the other guy and go, oh, you're incompetent you don't have the skills to accomplish this. It's that ability to step back and go, okay, wait a minute, what did I say? Because obviously I was not clear. So, you know, being able to reflect and then being able to go to the person and go, okay, uh, you may or may not find this entertaining, but this is not exactly what I had in mind. Tell me, you know, tell me what your interpretation of what I had said to you was, and may I elaborate, right? Like, cause then you have to go, you can't 
uh, reprimand somebody if you were the guy that didn't express yourself appropriately. You have to start asking questions so that you can understand what the other person's uh, what the other person's interpretation of your initial ask was and then you have to be able to elaborate right based on what they've told you oh, okay i didn't mean that i meant xyz and <laughs> we're not good at it it takes no. practice <laughs> yes it does so what's the difference between coaching and leadership I don't even know if there is a, is a difference. I think leadership is an assumption of responsibility. I think it is um, acts of, small acts of empathy and compassion. Uh, and, and I say that in response to like big disasters like COVID, right? Like when we think about the leadership that we've seen, you know, nationally, provincially, um, whether you agree with the politics or not, we've seen some great demonstrations of leadership and some poor demonstrations of leadership. We've seen people, um, you know, really try to relate to those who are suffering right now, who are stressed, who may be losing jobs, homes, businesses. Uh, so it's that ability to empathize and connect. A coach is all of that and the developmental bias, right? And the, oh, I love you so much. I wanna see you do so well. Let's like figure out what your passion is and let's get you there. That's, I think, the difference is it's subtle, um, but I think coaching's more fun. <laughs> can yes, I even say that? Should I say <laughs> That's that? That's fine. That's fine. You can say it. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a manager. I just want to coach people and watch them go, holy smokes, I never thought I could do that. What a great life. Yeah, it is. <laughs> So we're going to be closing up the show. Uh, and I always ask these seven questions of my guests, six, seven questions. Okay. Uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdown, what's the one thing, what's, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Hmm. You are loved. You're not alone. Call your buddies, call your mama, call somebody hang out on Zoom. I know it's not like being in the same room and like ugh, maybe Thanksgiving's gonna have to be by Zoom or Christmas might have to be by Zoom or whatever we celebrate next, depending on you know your, your culture. But, um, but no, you're not alone and, uh, and love is on the other end of the phone. Like we take it for granted, right? Because we're a culture of texting. We, we hardly ever pick up the phone to actually talk to people. Um, do that, do that. You'll be surprised. Awesome. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've learned, I, I, I don't know. Isn't that awful? Like I should have this whole, this whole idea of where I want to be. Um, I've learned to have aspirations, 
but to know that there is there is a bigger picture happening and and to say yes to things that you are afraid of how about that in five years i want to become adept and consistent at saying yes to things i am afraid of because i found out that's when the magic happens is when you say yes that's awesome that's one of probably one of the best questions i heard in the, with that <laughs> one of the best answers i heard with that question i like it Good, because I thought you were going to go, oh, you're a dullard. You got nothing planned. <laughs> Saying yes to fear is actually a very scareful and very brave thing to do. It's totally scary. And I think that's our human journey, right? Like we all struggle with that. I think that is the human condition and the human journey. Yeah. And, and the more we can do it, the better the reward at the end, right? Yeah. When you end up making friends with your fear... It's a whole different ball game after that. Because you're so just, elevated now. Like now, all the things you can accomplish because that energy that you were putting into the fear is now yours. You own it. You can put it anywhere you want, right? Yeah, exactly. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you were 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Get out of the seeps and go to class. That's what I would say. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Only Western people will know that <laughs> what the seeps is. <laughs> okay. I, 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 that just went right over my head. <laughs> There's a little bar that uh, used to be in a CP railhouse, so they called it the seeps. A little bar at Western. <laughs> Okay. Uh, looking back, would you change anything? No, I think it all happens as it should. Good, bad, ugly, painful, joyous, rewarding, depleting. It all happens as it should. Every moment has value if you can reflect on it and learn from it. Cool. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Right now, it's my cat, my little kitten. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, as I get older, I'm going to be 50 this year. And, I, and I'm not concerned with what I've accomplished. Maybe I should be. Maybe, maybe that'll be the big revelation on the day I turn 50. But I think what keeps me up at night is knowing that uh, my people who are most important to me, my parents, are not always going to be here. And... How am I as a kid? Because uh, you're always a kid, right? doesn't matter how old you are, if your parents are around or if they're not, you're always somebody's kid. How am I going to see them out in the right way? Uh, very conscious of uh, understanding what their value systems are, what their idea of a quality of life is so that I can make the right decisions for them. And, you know, and... and kind of forecasting what's it going to feel like so that keeps me up at night and I think that's I think we all deal with that because it means we're getting older right like it we're getting older we're kind of gauging our own mortality you know you get to you get to 50 and people that you know start dying and it's challenging it's emotionally challenging it's psychologically challenging 
you can at times be gripped with regret or with um, concern, like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have had a bag of wine gums every day for five years back in the 80s, right? Like, what did all that cheese whiz do from, <laughs> from the 70s, right? Like, I'm full of plastic. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's that idea of measuring time keeps me up. Cool. Uh, where can people find more about you? Oh God, I'm very private. <laughs> uh, I do have a Twitter feed. I haven't been very active lately. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at SC divine or no, I'm camp camp divine 20 <laughs> on uh, Instagram. Um, not always um, wellness based. A lot of it is, uh familial and communal and sort of friendship and life quality sort of posts um but yeah you or you can call me at the hospital if you want to understand more about uh organizational wellness happy to talk to anybody about that who might want to have some guidance about approaching an organization for a position cool we're gonna put uh your links with the podcast with your permission so people can reach out if they need to reach out. Sure. Johnny, put my um, work email on it too for okay. people. I will do. Will do. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Uh, any final thoughts? No, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share time with you and to learn more about you. I mean, we, we've worked together before, but not in like a really intense capacity. Um, so it's a great honor to know more about your story and, uh, I'm grateful to be able to share time with you. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really grateful for you, uh, saying yes. I was a uh, shot in the dark for me, <laughs> but, uh, I do, I re I do really appreciate all this, all the hard work that you do put in the hospital. I mean, uh, looking at all the programs, uh, it, it, I know what it takes to put a program together and it takes a lot of time. And, uh, so seeing that up seeing those things up there it uh makes me makes me happy as a personal trainer knowing ah, that thanks, thank knowing you. that uh, the, the corporation is actually actually cares about my wellness so absolutely so thank you so much for for doing what you do awesome buddy and right back at you <laughs> and going through hard times is just a test what you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone always know that you are not alone stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours until then to everyone out there listening i wish you a good morning good afternoon or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world